0: to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Haggai. <laughs> we're in Haggai. I just like saying it. Um, and if you want to yeah, open your bowls, Haggai is where we're going to be today. Haggai is a small book. Um, it's a couple pages, but it punches with tremendous force. Um, And its brevity contains really so many different things. And last week we looked at Haggai chapter 1, and in Haggai chapter 1, it told the story of the people of God after they had come home from being in exile. For decades, the people of God found themselves away from their home, living in exile, And they were pining to come home. They were pining to return to their homelands, but also to return spiritually home. There was this sense that God's presence wasn't with them because the temple, which housed God's presence in Jerusalem, they were now distant from it. Now where Haggai picks up is that the people have actually returned home. The Babylonian Empire was taken over by a king called King Cyrus, who was Persian, and he took over the empire and said, go home. And not only did he say to the people of God, go home, he actually funded and gave them money to go home and rebuild the temple. So this was the answer to Israel's prayers. But as we discovered, the story goes in a slightly different direction. And just to summarize last week, is a quick table. Um, We saw these sort of five movements. Number one, God saves Israel from exile. Israel is now home and they're building their own houses, but they're finding themselves frustrated by spiritual and cultural stagnation. Why Haggai chapter one tells us is because whilst their houses are being built, And their houses are being developed, what's actually lying in ruin is the temple which they were charged and commissioned to come back and rebuild and even given money from King Cyrus. And Haggai's lesson is that flourishing flows from the temple. The people were trying to flourish in their personal life projects but it wasn't working because flourishing flows from the temple. And so where it begins to end at the end of chapter one is the Lord comes, gives a word through Haggai, and the word is to stir up, stir up the spirits of the people to rebuild the temple. Without the spirit, the people could not rebuild the temple. And we looked at how this intersects with us today as the church. God has saved us from sin and death on the cross. Saved, we sometimes find ourselves building our own life projects yet finding ourselves frustrated by stagnation, decline, brokenness, a lack of flourishing. Why, because the temple represented God's presence, his communion with us. And so we can face stagnation even though we're saved when our life with God, our communion with God lies half constructed. And so flourishing flows from our proximity to God's presence. And where we ended last week was a sense that we've had for a couple of years at Red that God's like building something. The Spirit has come and so many people have come to faith for the first time at Red who just had all of a sudden like the spiritual lights turned on in your life and some of you are in the room. No background with God, no family history with God and then just felt the Spirit stirring your spirit and finding Jesus. Some of you are on that journey currently. Others had spent time away from church. There's so many people at Red who had charted a path away, but God stirred something and you've come back. And then others who have been faithfully coming, but it's like God is saying there's more, let's press into more. And we're realizing at this time, when the stories around us are one of decline and secularism and post-Christianity in a place like Melbourne, that actually God is stirring us up And actually asking, hang on, what if at this moment I actually wanted renewal and to build his new temple, which we're going to discover more. What is the new temple? And so Haggai chapter 2 points towards how we can actually do this. It gives us clues. So I wanted to read one bit of Haggai 2. It's the first five verses of chapter 2, and it's in your Bibles, and it's going to be on the screen as well. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Zerubbabel had come out of Babylon, brought a group of this remnant back. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? He's clearly pointing out, in a sense, the obvious here. This is not an unknown quantity to the people of God. They're walking around Jerusalem, and it's obvious that the temple, the dwelling place of God, is in ruins. So he's helping them realize where they are at this time. That's not super encouraging so far. He's pointing out where things fall short. But... And I mean, we've talked about always look for the butts in the passage but now be strong Zerubbabel declares the Lord be strong Joshua son of Josadak the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the Lord and work for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you do not fear do not fear And so, here's how it looks now, with the temple in ruins, here's this invitation into strength and courage in the Lord, and what this does is it puts before the people of God a crucial choice, to continue stagnating as the temple lies in ruins, or to step into the holy courage that God is offering them. Now what's interesting is, this is not the first time God's people have had to make such a choice. And one of the ways that we understand scripture is you tend to have these repeating themes. Certain movie directors or certain movie franchises Um, tend to have these repeating themes. Alfred Hitchcock, if you look at his movies and watch them, and many moons ago at Red, I once did an entire sermon series on Alfred Hitchcock films. Um, I'm not sure it's on the podcast. Um, But if you look at Alfred Hitchcock films, um, you see these repeated images of birds through his films, not just in the birds, but in other movies. Um, You'll see this in Star Wars franchises, these different things where, hang on, this has happened to Luke, but now it's happening to Ray, and it looks exactly the same, but it's repeating. And if you know the whole story, you begin to understand as you become more familiar. And so we have to, to understand this passage, grasp the idea that in the Scriptures there's repeating themes. And one of those repeating themes is the idea of making a crucial choice Of a forked path and making that crucial choice in the presence of God and in the story of the Bible humans find themselves repeatedly in the presence of God choosing between the flourishing of God or fruitless autonomy it's one of the great themes of Scripture and when we stop and reflect we might just find that it's also one of the great themes of our lives and in the Bible there's many examples of this Cain and Abel but coming before God with an offering, but it goes very bad and ends in a murder. Sometimes the choice goes differently, Moses encountering God after killing someone, but this time, encountering God and saying yes at the burning bush. Moses takes the, meets God on a high mountain, receiving the Torah, Then when he comes down, Israel have also had to make a choice, but they've chosen to actually worship the golden calf, even at the foot of the mountain of God where God's presence is. We see that time idolatry wins, but then we see in the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal where idolatry is defeated again at a high place. Here's Elijah, here's a choice to trust in God, to have faith, and he chooses yes and defeats the prophets of Baal. But also in seemingly less cinematic senses. We see this in Joseph, Israelite serving in a foreign bureaucracy Confronted with a woman who attempts to seduce him, Potiphar's wife. Again, a crucial choice in the presence of God. And each of these repeating moments contain echoes of a critical choice that begins at the beginning of the story in the garden where humans must choose between the fruit of the tree of life which leads to flourishing and life with God and the fruit offered by the snake, the tree of There's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is interestingly pleasing to the eye, but leads to death. And the snake's invitation is not for life with God, but rebellion over life with God. And as we explore these themes, this repeating leitmotif, I think is the word in music, that many of these moments of choosing occur surrounded by biblical imagery that we associate with temples, See, in the biblical imagination, temples aren't just buildings. The whole of creation is a temple. And so surrounding them, there are trees, high places, altars, fire, smoke, ground-shaking sacrifice. And most importantly, a crucial spiritual exchange. Now, the Jerusalem temple pictured here, Uh, This is from the Bible Project, um, who do wonderful work, and I encourage you, I'll give you homework, just go and watch the four and a half minute video on temple, um, which will be fantastic background on YouTube, Bible Project Temple. Uh, And in the Jerusalem temple, there was an altar, and altars are the places where God is met. Altars are places of encounter, offering, sacrifice, but really importantly, exchange. The altar is the priest's workbench, where spiritual work is done, a bridge between earth and heaven, where an offering is exchanged for blessing. And temples, be they Jerusalem temple or the other temples that are not buildings that scripture points to, such as Eden, the inner temple of the human heart, or the whole of creation, are places in which exchange happens upon altars. And what's interesting is, altars and temples even abound in our supposedly secular culture, hidden beneath the fabric of everyday life, yet still operating as vital spiritual exchanges. Now, altars were designed in the temple to be places where offering is exchanged for blessing. But scripture also shows us that it can go badly. That scripture shows us of other exchanges. Priests can operate under another order. Hosea, also a prophet like Haggai, says in chapter 4, verse 7, the more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. Paul, in the New Testament, speaks of this in Romans 1.25, saying, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And Jesus, in Matthew 16, verses 26, actually speaks of a fundamental exchange which every human being must confront, when he says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And what Jesus is showing us is that in the earthly realm, we can seemingly be flourishing, gaining the entire world, having Fame, money, celebrity, power, influence, the adulation of our peers, hitting all the metrics of our culture, flourishing seemingly from a worldly perspective, but in the spiritual exchange, actually giving away and offering up our very souls. This is why Jesus in his ministry shows us again how to live our priestly calling that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so in the wilderness, he faces that moment of choice, rejecting an invitation from Satan to exchange his calling for earthly glory. Where does this happen? At the height of the temple. And in the garden, echo to Eden, temple of Eden, in the moment, the night before his execution, the moment of his deepest pain, emotional turmoil, grief and loneliness, he chooses to accept the priestly cup Of God's wrath. And on the cross, the greatest exchange in history, with his last breath, we see Jesus trading his obedience for our rebellion, his life for our sin, his death for our life. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus acted as the new high priest on the cross, doing away with the old system of sacrifice and making himself the ultimate sacrifice. And this exchange enabled us to enter into the presence of God, to look upon his face, to be picked up and again to take on our priestly role. And this exchange upon the cross, whether we understand it or not, is actually the ultimate truth that defines us And the world. It tells you everything you need to know about who you are, who God is. And so in Haggai, with that background set out, we see God inviting Israel into exchanging. Fear, weakness, and disappointment that they felt. Stagnation, coming back from exile, and things not being what they thought. And Haggai 2, verses 4 to 5, instead, through the word of God, through the prophet Haggai, they're invited to exchange for, instead of fear-faith, instead of weakness-strength, and instead of disappointment, hope. And God, through the spiritual revelation of Haggai, is reminding the people of God that renewal begins in the temple, the place where God's presence, where heaven and earth overlap and intermingle. And God's will, the way of heaven, is not for fear, weakness, or disappointment. Instead, it's for faith, strength, and hope. And so the people of God in Haggai's time need the temple in order to be able to step into that place of encounter and exchange. The Jerusalem temple points, however, forward beyond just those bricks to a greater temple that comes after Jesus' death and resurrection. At one point in Jesus' ministry, they're leaving the temple, and his disciples point at the incredible building. These are country boys, this building which they've heard about, the temple, and they're awed. And Jesus' is like, it's going to fall. And what he's doing at that point is he's pointing to Jesus as the temple. The temple is destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, and it's never rebuilt to this day in Jerusalem. But what replaces us is the church. And we're here in a building in Nunawadding, but the building is not the church. The church is where the presence of God now dwells amongst a people who bend their knee at Jesus' name. You are a mini temple. We are the temple of God. The temple of God is meeting across the world at this moment, connected. And one of our feet is in this particular earthly place of being in Nunawadding. But over the next 24 hours across the world, we will spiritually join with people as far afield from Auckland. Austria, but also places like Syria and North Korea. The living temple is an incredible thing that God is building in his world. And so our mission is going out We don't need a building in Jerusalem to do this. We as the church, the new living temple, can step into the place where heaven overlaps, and again we step into our priestly mantle, but almost remixed and and reinvigorated for this time in history. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has already chosen us. We must, however, choose to commune with him, and that communion contains choices. Life with God, is, in the exchange, choosing to put him first, to choose his way. And we are also called to work with altars, but not the altar that we find in the temple in Jerusalem, but the altars that exist everywhere. And we place things upon symbolic altars. We align them with God's purposes for them, Stepping into our role as priests, Revelation one verses five to six says, "To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom and priest, made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father." In the place of encounter and exchange, we discover the higher purpose that God has created us for, and so this is ultimately about us aligning our hearts with God's heart, our innermost human temple with His heavenly temple. And so anything that we have in our lives, a job, a relationship, a material thing, an attitude, a past memory, an identity, we place them upon the altar and align them with what God wants. But the problem is sometimes we can see this through a negative lens. Seeing that faith is actually an exchange, yeah, but what it is, it's an exchange of a good life that 21st century consumer culture and the good life in Melbourne can give us for a kind of dismal, grey, Christian life. But we need to let the words of Psalm 34 8 speak to us, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's heart is to bless us, he wants to give his children good things. And when we step into the encounter that happens in the hidden place with God, we encounter God as he truly is and see how he truly loves us. We discover a God who wants nothing more than to bless us with his spiritual abundance, who wants us to step into his presence and exchange our defeat and fear and confusion away for a life of flourishing and blessing. See, Jesus, after his death, he spends time with his disciples, but then he goes to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so in a sense, Jesus is now in charge of the whole temple as the world. The world and creation is God's temple, and God's presence and kingdom is going out in the world. And so Jesus has won the victory for us, and we can, with confidence, approach God's throne. And so Peter helps the church understand this by saying in 1 Peter 2.5, you also are like living stones of being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, not a house that's literally somewhere. Instead, we're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Today, as we come, you're living stones building something. On Monday, as you go to work, you're a living stone building something when we step into our priestly role. The ultimate sacrifice has been made upon the cross. No sacrifice needs to be made for us to be made right with God. But we are to serve God as his new priests with spiritual sacrifices in his new temple. So how do we do that? When we place things on the altar, sacrificing them, we set them apart, acknowledging them that they're made for a holy purpose, giving them back to God. Acknowledging that all of this is his. When me and Trudy decided that we're gonna have kids, we felt that sense that this is not something that we can make a decision by ourselves. We took it to God and we put this on the altar. When our children came, each of them we put on the altar. Ministry, I'm talking a broad sense of ministry, not just paid ministry, I'm talking the ministry that priests are invited into, and if we're all living priests, is actually giving things back to God so then you can properly steward them. And so what's really exciting about this idea of exchange is that it's an essential link to a theme that God has had read on and much of his church on. In Isaiah 40 verse 31 it reads, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now the Hebrew word here for renew is halaf, which means Renew- exchange Renewal is exchanging decline and stagnation for God's desires for our flourishing. Holy exchange is a key part of renewal. And over the last three or four years, so many people have read, as we prayed into what does God want for our next season, have had one passage just come up again and again and again. And it came up with words from, from some of our intercessors at the beginning of the year. And it's the chapter Isaiah 61. And this has been a prophetic passage that's been given to read multiple times. But just listen how renewal and exchange are linked. I'm just going to read just some highlights of this. Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom for the captives, exchanging captivity for freedom, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, exchanging ashes for beauty, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." This is why you'll notice our online stuff is called Rebuilders. We ran a conference called Rebuilders because we believed at this time that actually God wants us to be in the work of rebuilding, exchanging. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. Renewal and it is exchange. And we're at a moment where God has us at that choice. Will we buy into the story that inevitably everything's declined at the moment, or will we trust in the God who comes to give us his strength, his hope when our hearts are fading and worrisome, who says to us at a moment of fear, do not fear, who wants to give us holy courage? So I just wanna look as we sort of wrap up three ways in which I think God is calling us and inviting us into exchange. The first one is identity. We live in a world which is rapidly manufacturing and selling identities. We can take this. There are so many ways in which we can build an identity. But all of these identities, whether they're one of the sophisticated new identities of the 21st century, or just being obsessed with what people think about you, or perhaps a painful identity where scripts have been spoken over your life, when we step into the overlap of heaven and earth we stand and realize that at any moment we can step into the holy place with God, quietly listen to him. In that place, the first thing I think so many of us are going to be invited as we do this to step into is to exchange our earthly misaligned identities for the identity that God wants to give us. Loved and cherished children of God not what people say about you, but what he did for you. And here we embrace our true calling, our identity as Shomar, stewards of creation, guardians of God's good estate. And not only do we gain a new identity, but once we understand our identity, who God is, we then step into our authority. We step into the power and commission that God gave his disciples in Matthew 28, when he sent him out into the world in his name. And once a new identity takes hold, then the next place we step into is looking at our world proactively and understanding that we then go forward with intent. Knowing who we are in God, understanding our God-given identity, we can then go into the world and carefully go with priestly intent. Everything that we do, from waking up to a crying baby at 3 a.m., to engaging in a fantastic project, to doing kid soap, to speaking to a neighbor, all of this is something where we can step into that space. Understanding our God-given identity, calling, and power, we can minister in those places. Understanding that when we sacrifice time, it could be an hour of prayer, an attitude that needs bringing before God, a financial offering, that we're doing our priestly duty And heaven is where God's will happens in fullness. And when we sacrifice and align with God's will, heaven's breaking out into earth is expanding and ground is taken for the kingdom. Intently, we need to step into identity, step into the heavenly places, and actually take ground for God's kingdom in the world. That's why you were created. And the last one, they're all eyes, is intercession. That when we are called to step into the hidden places, we're also called to intercede, exchanging for ourselves, our families, our communities, our church, our cities, and our nation. And when we see and step into this place where we actually see with God's eyes spiritual revelation, what we studied two weeks ago, which is that word hazan in Hebrew, seeing, not vision, but spiritual vision, that we no longer see people as the world sees them. Someone who may be broken and on the edge and not valued by the world. Jesus said, when you give that person a cup of water, he is there, that person is him. And so the temple has been expanded. It's not destroyed, it's actually expanded. That actually God's will and his heart for the world is all these beautiful moments. It could be someone on the train who's talking to themselves and everyone else is looking at them just going, I hope they're getting off at Auburn, not the city. Like this is just uncomfortable. That actually you can look at them and maybe you talk to them, maybe you just intercede for them and say, hang on, what is God's destiny and will for this person? How does God see them? You can step into that holy place for them. You see, when we see the world Through kingdom eyes, through kingdom lenses, we begin to pray God's destiny for them. This is actually how we step into mission. It's a missional task. This is the air support that comes for mission. Air support where actually it's an overflow because we're prayed for people. We're actually bringing them before God. This could be someone at work who is just the most annoying person who you would never, ever think would come to church but when we bring them before God in the heavenlies, like contending and interceding, God, work in their life. God helps us to see them differently. We need to go battle in those places. I wrote this sermon on Thursday and parts of Friday. And on Friday night, just before I went to bed, I looked at the news on my phone. It's not a good thing to look at the news at the moment before you go to bed. All the things happening in the world. And I ended up clicking on a story. And it was a story and it was like, a, you know look at this footage from the city of Wuhan in China. And the footage was actually taken by a drone. It was like, look at the city, how apocalyptic it was. And there's so many of these stories at the moment, apocalyptic you know, like language around th- what's happening in China with the co- uh, coronavirus at the moment. And in this imagery, I looked at it, and this drone takes off, and it sort of goes across this bridge, and it flies over the city, and it's just absolutely deserted, one or two people there, it's like m- foggy, it looks like a movie, it looks like an apocalyptic movie. And seeing something like that, my natural human response, my earthly response, was one of fear. Um, And you start, you know, what's happening? You know, what's going on? What's God going to do here? Is he going to let this happen? How is this going to affect me? And as I watched this video, I felt God say, Mark, you are preaching on stepping into that place of exchange. Do it now. If you ever preach, the thing you will learn is that if you preach on something, you will inevitably be faced with it that week. Uh, this is why next week is on extreme prosperity. Um, not really. And it's, a, it's actually John Mutt. Um, just think, I th- thought we changed it. And I stopped. I thought, okay, I'm gonna put this away. I stopped just, so much of that moment, it's like scary, you just keep endlessly new stories with clickbaity headlines that make you feel worse about the world. And so God invited me into this space. I stopped, I closed my eyes, I slowed my breathing, and I just said, God, what is your will for this? It was so interesting, it took a, it took a few minutes and I just visually imagined myself stepping into that place, interceding with the authority and identity I have in Christ. I said, God, what's your will for this city? What's your will for this situation? It was so weird, God brought the image in my mind again of the drone going over the city, but he, he changed it. And in my mind's eye, where God speaks to us so often, I actually saw not drones flying over the city, but actually God's angels ministering. His God's spirit is going down into people in hospitals, who are ill and ministering to them, to family trapped in apartments, kids going crazy there for weeks, worried about what's going to happen with supplies going out. I actually, pray that God, at this time of challenge, actually, I want to pray an exchange where actually your spirit moves. And just sat there and held up the city of Wuhan, of the whole of China. Say, so what is your destiny for China? At this time, Trudy, I, we spoke the next morning. Trudy went to the prayer room and she went to the prayer room and was praying at, at um, our office. And, and there was a verse which came, which, which basically talked about God's light going out for the nations. And then she looked up and realized that actually it was the Lantern Festival on Saturday, which is the end of the Chinese New Year, where lights are brought out all across the Chinese world. And just this sense of God saying, don't look at these things with absolute passivity and fear that actually as the church, you're given the power and authority to contend. And that could be something like Wuhan province or that could be the person who you're sharing your faith with who lives next door to you. We need to step into those places and begin exchanging for God. God has good things for the world. We need to trust and believe in that. And you're invited to play a role in that, to be his new temple going out, into the world so what we're going to do now and you can do this at home you can do this in your car you can do this literally at a restaurant talking to your workmates but inside going God your presence is with me speaking to him even as you're speaking to other people is we're actually going to now step into the overlap between heaven and earth so we're going to to invite the band forward we're actually going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to recognize that when we worship that actually God comes close, and hears the worship of his people. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually step and do some exchanging. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. So we just ask the Spirit to come. The Spirit is here, but we're actually asking him to bring us to attention, to realize that we actually exist in that intermingling of heaven and earth. And so I'm just going to ask the Spirit to come to focus our attention. And Spirit, whether it is exchanging that needs to happen at this moment over our identities, and I just sense there are people in this room who, you're just like, please give me your identity. I wanna give you my identity. I wanna show you how much I love you. I wanna break off the scripts of the past, the voice of self-doubt, the voice of others' criticism, and I want to step into that heavenly, earthly overlap and show you how much I love you. I feel the Lord is saying to some people here. For others, there's some things that you need to bring and put it on the altar. Perhaps it's a job, perhaps it's something you're worried about, a future, a relationship. Maybe it's even something, it could be an addiction or a material thing that's just bound you up and it's now controlling you. Bring it to the place of exchange. Place it on the altar before God. Not to manipulate him, actually to free you. And lastly, I just feel at this time we need to step into our identity. The world is, I mean, January's been nuts with the world. And we just need to understand that we actually can intercede and call God's best for the world. For the world, for our city, for our nation, for our neighbours, for our friends, for our family and loved ones. So there could be actually someone that you've been sharing the gospel with, it's getting nowhere, someone you're worried about. I actually encourage you to step into the gap for them. So Holy Spirit, just speak to us of who you want to bring before us. So we're just going to trust your spirit to do your work. Come amongst us now.